Our reading this morning comes from Psalm 113, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, you servants of the Lord. Praise his name. May his name be praised now and forever. From the east to the west, praise the name of the Lord. The Lord rules over all nations. His glory is above the heavens. There is no one like the Lord our God. He lives in the heights above.
Lord, we just thank you for this place to gather, not only to praise you, but to celebrate your love as we gather together in fellowship today. Um, it's just wonderful that we have this ability, that we're able to do this. Lord, we just call your presence today. Open our eyes and our ears and let us uh, absorb your word as Tom preaches it. We also ask a special blessing over the kids as they go to Hope for Kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you with us today. Uh, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper and communicate with us. We will, re we will respond appropriately. Um, also, uh, later in the service, during the time of offering, if you're in need of prayer while you're here, uh, you may go to the back corner. There will be somebody there available to pray with you and for you for whatever may be going on in your life. Um, let's see, several things going on around here today you should probably know about. You might have heard of a chili cook-off. But it's already over, actually. I'm just going to pre-announce the winner. He's right here. <clears throat> Did you enter? Oh, okay, then I'm safe. All right. Yeah, where's, where's Jeff Kale? If, he, if he's still tweaking his chili, I think I'm good. Yep. And uh, where did Pebby sneak off to? I heard a rumor she was going to enter a home-baked chocolate cake as one of the 12 chili entries. And somebody tried this once. They tried a big uh, crock pot full of chocolate, melted chocolate, in the hopes that they could win, like, all the kids' votes. And then I, they were basically just wound up. They didn't win. They were like the Ross Perot of that year's chili cook-off. Um, but uh, Pebby was going to cook a, a chocolate, well, did cook a chocolate cake and iced it and had chocolate chips all over the icing, several layers, just goodness all, all around, and then tripped on her way to the car, and it fell icing down and smashed on the sidewalk. And I told her, I would have eaten it anyway. She's like, well, I tried to salvage it, and then I dropped it again. And... I just, you know, there's two ways to look at this. Either God didn't want her to enter that cake and the chili competition, or Satan knew how badly I wanted a piece of that cake, and he's tormenting me. It's, you know, we could go either way here. We never know. Um, a, little of, a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, so... All that to say, today is chili cook-off, so here's what we're going to do. After church, we will move down the hall. You will be given if you choose to participate. So this is, a, this is an open ballot, crowdsourced judging, right? Um, today at church, you get to be judgy. That was, that was the church joke. Thank you. All right. Um, but you'll get an egg carton that will have all of the current entries, samples in the little cups, right? 
and there'll be a ballot on top of the egg carton, and then you just identify which one you think should be the winner. You get one vote. Uh, this, this is going to be like an Iowa caucus, but um, uh, you just take your ballot, make your choice, and then once you've voted, you can go back and help yourself to whichever chilies. What? No, no. No, no double voting. You cannot vote early and often. We're not in Chicago. The deceased may not vote, as in Louisiana. Um, no hanging chads. Um, all right. So that's the program. Any questions? Yes? Jimmy? Hey, no one, no one with the last name Kale should be able to win a chili cook-off. I mean, this is this. These are mutually opposed ideas. Um, he is the defending champion in his. There, here comes Brenda. Maybe nope. That's not Brenda. That's somebody else. Never mind. I thought she was coming to get me. What? You vote for the chili you think is the best. All right. One time. Oh. There he is. There he is. All right. Good luck. You're going to need it, bean boy. All right. Yes. Question. Go ahead. We had someone enter a meatless chili one time. I don't think it's today. I haven't heard any rumblings, so to speak. We will hear some later, however. Um, speaking of which, after the chili cook-off, we're going to have our care group meetings. Care group meetings normally happen after a social lunch, and we move into a space with a smaller group of people led by one of our elders, and we just spend some time collecting prayer requests, etc. We're going to do a speed format this week because we think after chili cook-off, you're not going to have a ton of time to hang around. So we're going we're gonna... to... Is guarantee too strong of a word? We're going to guarantee a 20-minute max on elder care groups after chili cook-off. And it's going to be a format where uh, the, the elder will lead and then you will just, if you have a prayer request, you're just going to quickly pray it. Does that make sense? If you're not comfortable praying out loud in a crowd, that is fine. Just write it down, pass your prayer request to the elder, and he will pray it for you. Does that make sense? All right, so this will be a speed format for elder care groups um, and uh, youth group. Tonight, 6 o'clock, right here, we will feed you dinner, and then we will probably play a game, study God's Word together, have some fun and fellowship. It's a good time. We are all um, getting ready for the Summer Youth Sermon Series, and so our kids are preparing for that now at youth group every Sunday night. Um, what else? Hope Fit Monday nights. Perfect follow-up to Chili Cook-Off. So, just saying. Um, <clears throat> I was on the uh, cornbread 
section of the baking aisle, did you know that 98% of cornbreads contain wheat? What? So I have a daughter that has like a thyroid condition that's aggravated by gluten. At least her quacky doctor thinks that. I don't know. Whatever. So I try to find a cornbread that doesn't have gluten. That's not easy. Like there was one. There was one there. And then on the back of it, it had this recipe for what it called spoon bread. Anyone ever had, you're from Alabama, of course you've had spoon bread, yes. So I've made a jalapeno bacon cheese spoon bread for lunch today to go with the chili. Hallelujah. There, we, got a, we got a hallelujah out of a Baptist, no less. That's impressive. Dang. Wow, don't raise a hand or anything. It's, yeah. Exactly. All right, so we got that going for us, which is nice. Um, all right, so after the spoon bread, that was my point. You're going to need to go to Hope Fit on Monday night. Trust me. All right, whoa, hey. All right, why don't we have all the important people come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited up for our children's chat at this time. How's everybody doing? Good. Good? Doing well, doing well? Yes, sir. It's it's the chili cook-off is really about having fun. But I I would be fibbing a little if I said I didn't care if I won. The whole thing, all of life is about winning, right? Yes. Born to win. There you go. All right. <laughs> My goal, Ethan, is to become the Michael Phelps of the Hope Church chili cook-off. That's what I'm gunning for. I've been at it for 20 years. So far, I've got two. How am I doing? One. And maybe he won't. Yeah, maybe he's in there. Maybe he's in there, like pouring Tabasco into my chili as we speak. Who knows? Um, so, have you ever had a bad day? Yeah. You ever had a bad day? Yeah. Do you like having bad days? No. Not usually. Bad days are pretty bad, right? Maybe. Maybe you're. Maybe you're sick. Right? If you're, if you're really sick, that's a bad day. Yes, sir? Miss Pebby had a bad day this morning. You're correct. Yeah, you didn't get to eat the cake. That makes me sad in deep, deep ways. There's no chocolate cake in the chili competition. Um, so, wanted to share something with you. All right? So God knows that you and I and all of us are sometimes going to have bad days, right? And so here's one of the things he says to us, all right? This is from the book of Micah, and Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he also understood that people were having bad days and will have bad days. And he said, 
God delights in steadfast love. God delights in steadfast love. What do you think that means? If if you if I like I delight in chocolate cake, right? He delights in love for everyone. So God looks at you the way Pastor Tom looks at chocolate cake, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, so God says He loves you. He delights in you. He loves to show his love to you. He loves it. And that it says here, he will again have compassion on us. This is what we need to know on a bad day. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will, he will get rid of our pains, right? And cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So if all of your sins were sunk to the bottom of the ocean... Who did that? God, through Jesus, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, they're all, and through Jesus, all our sins are taken away forever, and you never have that problem again, right? And of course, this life is not perfect. You will have bad days, but we need to remember that God has dealt with all of our problems on the cross, and he loves to love you. So even on a bad day, what can you remember? God still loves you. God is still with us. It never changes. Like the song we sang this morning, God is with us. Very good. I, like, I think you get it. Let's say a prayer. All right. Dear God, thank you for your love and for the fact that you love to love us. Thank you that you delight in showing your love to your people, that you have taken away all of our sins uh, through what your son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Help us to live out of that hope and strength each and every day and to take the love that you have shown to us and show it to the people around us. We pray your blessing on these precious children as they study more of your word in hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in hope for kids. I still want y'all to be as excited as they are to come in here. What's up with that? What's that? They get to leave. <laughs> Tough crowd. Tough crowd. I can't get no respect. <laughs> uh, I'm coming for you. Right out there. Um, all right. So we have been of late uh, through a, a series of messages out of the Old Testament prophetical book of Micah, which may not be when you open your Bible, the first place you turn. Um, Micah was uh, a country boy. He was from a small, small town outside of Jerusalem, and 
grew up and sort of felt called to uh, proclaim God's truth to the people around him. The problem was the world around Micah's reality was falling apart. Uh, their, their neighboring countries, so by this time, Israel was, was really two different countries. One was called Judah, that's where Jerusalem is, that's where Micah lived. The other one was called Israel, and Israel had fallen to the Assyrians and was gone. It was no longer a, a country. And so here's this little bitty postage stamp of a country called Judah, where Micah lives, and he's trying to explain to the people in the midst of a world that's literally falling apart economically, politically, morally, in every sense of the word. He's trying to say, hey, wake up. We can't keep living like this. We can't keep treating other people uh, like we are. Our, our leaders are corrupt. Our people are corrupt. There's greed and violence in every quarter of our community, and it's got to end. God doesn't want us to live this way. And part of the unfortunate side of Micah's message was that he was also saying it is going to end. God is going to do to us what he did to our neighbors if we don't straighten up. And even if he does do that, we should straighten up anyway, because that's the right thing to do. And so much of Micah's written work, which is only seven chapters, um, is concerned with this call to turn away from our sins and to turn back to the hope that is ours in what Micah would have called the Messiah, the one who would come to bear forth our salvation. And so Micah has a, has a tension in its, in its content between our sin and our salvation. So he's both, he's both calling for some serious introspection and change, and at the same time proclaiming the hope that God sets before us in, in the Messiah. And so it's into that context that Micah speaks, and we're going to read uh, from chapter 7 today, which is the final chapter of the book of Micah, and I'll just sort of... Uh, ask your forgiveness in advance, I guess. We're, I, I, so this is kind of silly, but I didn't feel like I had room to, to print the whole chapter. I encourage you to read all of chapter 7 on your own time this week. It's, it's good stuff, but what I try to do is just kind of hit the highlights and pull out the, the key points in that chapter that I think God would want us to kind of focus on and listen to. So that's what we're going to try to do this morning, and before we uh, do that, will you uh, bow your heads with me in prayer and let us prepare our hearts for God's word. Father God, we come before you and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal to us what is there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Lord, we confess that there is much that is ugly within us and we give that to you and we thank you for the grace and forgiveness that are ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, um, as we come before you in this way, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. In addition to our sins and disappointments, uh, we 
lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses or recovering from medical procedures, and we just pray your healing mercies upon your people. We pray especially for Tristan Pendergraf this morning, that you would continue to heal him from an internal infection uh, that it actually wound him up in the hospital, and we just pray that you would pour out your healing mercies upon him and bring him back to full strength in his recovery. And Lord, we uh, lift up our nation and its leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform and pray your protection over them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, that you would watch over them and bring them home safely. We lift up those who are deployed and their families, and we just pray that you would be close to all of them uh, during their time apart, and again, that you would bring them all home safely. Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of the missionaries we support, uh, Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala. Um, we lift up uh, Pastor Miguel and his wife Tatiana in Kamahuani, Cuba at our sister church, and Pastor Patchy and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba. We lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey in the Middle East, and Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they continue to serve you in Lebanon. Uh, we just pray you would bless all of those works of your spirit in those places and every and throughout the the churches that we are connected to, and even those we are not that are uh, Lifting up your name and your word, we just pray your blessing over your people all over this earth as they worship you today. Lord, we pray you would be with us now as we open your word. Uh, speak to us through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. It is in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so Micah chapter 7, I'm going <laughs> to read verses 2 and 3. Then I'm going to brazenly jump to verse 5 and read verses 5 through 9, and then again jump to verse 11, read 11 and 12, and then jump to the last three verses of the chapter. And hopefully this gives you a feel for kind of the flow of the whole chapter, uh, which I really, I sincerely wish, I hope you will engage this and read through it this week. Um, but uh, what an amazing... Um, sort of conclusion to the body of work that Micah has compiled here. And I, th I hope you'll see the journey uh, that he takes us on from, from transgression and its consequences all the way to God's grace and the hope that is ours in, in the Messiah. So uh, let's start in this crazy jumping way through the last chapter of the book of Micah. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. 
the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, my, O oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over trans transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at being selfish. I've kind of mastered it. If you need any tips, call me up. I know I've, I could write the book. And <clears throat> this is a classic articulation of that which comes naturally to us is not that which brings glory to God. What is easy for us is not what is best for us. And Micah is surrounded by people like me who, who've gotten really good at being selfish, who have figured out the game and cornered their markets and continue the exploitation of others to their own gain and benefit and advantage. And you see him in the opening of this chapter sort of calling out all of us. Like, we are universally corrupt here, where it counts the most. Our little hearts are dark and self-interested. And then he sort of turns this amazing corner and ends with this burst of light and hope. What contrast? What, I mean, just as a, as a piece of literature in and of itself, what amazing contrast in just a short span of verses. And do note, uh, when, when you're reading many of the prophets, this is poetry. 
It's, it's written so it can be remembered and recounted and, and learned and memorized and shared. And so you have this amazing journey from a profound understanding of, of human corruption to a even greater understanding of the hope that is ours in in God. So let's try to just take that journey, follow that trajectory that Micah ends with in this chapter, and we'll begin with this call to expect evil to surge in the world, in our hearts, in the world around us, in the world within us, uh, everywhere. This is what people are naturally inclined toward. And I got to say, you're a bit of an exception in one sense. And, and that is that you're, you're here, you're engaged in this call to confess, to recognize, to face that corruption that is common to us all, and to seek a more difficult and yet better reality than the one that comes so naturally. And so we are all part of a common problem, and yet as we turn our hearts to God's word, we find him pointing us beyond that problem to something brighter and better. But we begin in verse 2 and 3, if I can put it this way, with Micah's reminder, don't put your hope in people. This is kind of a harsh truth. There are people that, that our hearts want to depend on and that's not always a terrible idea. Micah's point is that corruption is everywhere. The human heart is not a trustworthy place. And so we have to figure out in our lives what is that trustworthy place where we can hang our hopes and our hearts. We'll get to that. But Micah begins with this reminder to not put our hope in people, to understand that sin begets sin. And I always use silly little reminders of this, but you catch the four-year-old with his or her hand in the cookie jar, right? Or maybe the cookie jar lid is still on the counter, there's crumbs everywhere, there's chocolate on the mouth of the four-year-old, and you say, did you take a cookie out of the cookie jar? And if they knew they weren't supposed to, what's the first thing they're likely to say? Nope, wasn't me. It was my sister. Right? Um, one sin begets another. So that sin of disobedience and sneaking that cookie out when confronted begets the sin of lying about it you know, trying to wipe the crumbs off and get on with your day. Um, and the sin of maybe blame, if you have the convenience of a sibling around. Um, 
you know, and then as, when your kids grow up and one of them moves away and there are two of them or three or however many, and then there's just one left and the dishes are dirty and they were supposed to be done, mm-hmm, that's gold, parenting gold right there. You got nobody to blame it on. Yep, you're stuck. Um, my point is, Micah understands the dynamics of the human heart and the dynamics of sin therein. That one sin begets another, begets another, begets another. And when those things go unchecked for years or generations, then it certainly seems as though everything is falling apart. And it would not have been a surprise when Micah said these words, uh, the prince and the judge both take bribes. Um, no one that he was writing to would have been surprised to hear that. They all understood there was generational moral decay piling up in their midst, and it was bad. And so Micah's, in a way, just sort of telling it like it is. But he reminds us of these simple truths of the human heart, that our hope is not to be put in people, and sin has an ugly way of repeating itself and compounding on itself. And all of this is a, is a poetic way of calling anyone who's listening to stand up for what's right. And Micah says that, like, so again, we're going to go back to this idea that this is poetry, and you hear in, in verse 3, I think it is, is that where he turns toward, uh, no, 5 and 6, where he says the, the father will be against the son and the mother against the daughter and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You remember that? The metaphor that he's working there is family, that, that when corruption of the human heart begins to perpetuate itself and multiply itself, you find yourself in, in entire family systems that are no longer trustworthy, no longer life-giving, but that detract from what we're really called to. And so Micah is using, he's saying basically the most fundamental support structure of your life, your family, is even going to fall apart eventually. This is a a pretty significant wake-up call to anyone who's hearing these words for the first time when Micah is, is saying them, that it's going to get so bad that your final refuge will be gone. There will be no safe place for you any longer. And you have to be prepared to stand up for what's right even when it costs you everything when it costs you that which is dearest to you, etc. Now, <clears throat> I realize this is not a happy message, but there's something truly spectacular here. Um, I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Jesus is 
trying to explain some things to his disciples. And he, he well, we'll just read it. I, I want to start in Luke chapter 12 in verse 51. <clears throat> and Jesus says, he starts with, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? I'm, yeah, actually I do. <laughs> like I thought that was the point of the whole Messiah thing. Um, and so his followers were like, what is that kind of, what kind of weird trick question is that? Yes, of course we thought you were here to bring peace on earth. The angels said that when you were born, Einstein. Um, so I will read without interruption this time. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. When you read that, passage in Luke without ever having read the book of Micah, it gets weird there, right? Like, what? What what do you mean you've come to bring division and not peace? When you read Jesus in Luke as actually reaching back to the conclusion of Micah's work, and quoting, bringing that into the present, it's a very different statement. And I think, I think most of his disciples, most of his followers at this time would have caught the reference. They would have been familiar enough with Micah. And you, you don't forget a line like daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, right? That's a a pretty, like you're getting really technical here. Um, And so Jesus quotes, he reaches back several hundred years and grabs this quote from one of the prophets and pulls it into the present and says, it is now. And he's not just invoking the, the division component of what Micah is talking about, the divisiveness of sin. He's effectively saying, I am the one who will bring an end to sin in your heart. And when that acceptance of my grace is what defines you, it may separate you from people you love. It may bring some division between you and the people who don't understand your uh, commitment to the God who loves you. But Jesus is, is very intentional when he quotes this passage in saying, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. Not just the divisive part of chapter 7, but all of chapter 7, which we shall continue into in a moment. Um, and so it's, it's always striking to me to sort of come across these amazing correlations between Old Testament and New Testament. And that's a big part of what this series is about, is looking at the ways in which the Old Testament foretells, predicts, or, 
or is fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament. Um, and so there was our first glimpse, Jesus having a full grasp of why he's here, what he's doing, and the difference that it will make. And he's, he's saying, I have come to reckon with sin. And there will be a line of demarcation between those who've been forgiven and those who are still drowning in bondage to the darkness that prevails in this world. So we expect evil to surge, and we are to look to our Redeemer. Micah, after this powerful and painful articulation of, of, of the reality of sin, begins to look beyond the here and now to something greater, to something better. And he talks about coming into God's light. Beautiful language, beautiful use of the metaphor that we are to bring our sin into God's light. This is, can be as simple as confession or seeking directly forgiveness from someone that we have sinned against. But we're to trust God to deal with it. This is really difficult to do. Remember the four-year-old with the cookie crumbs on her lips? Um, how natural and easy it is to say, nope, wasn't me. It was my sibling. For us to get to the point in our trust of our creator where we can say, yes, that was me. That is me. I, I have sinned. And I want to seek to do the right thing, to, to stand up for what's good and right and true, to trust God, to deal with our sin. Uh, there's such a beautiful articulation here. Um, as he says in verse 7, I will wait for the God of my salvation. And then he says in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Micah has learned that God is trustworthy, that he can handle our sin, that we can be honest with him, and we can be honest with the people around us to come clean, if you will. There's freedom there to step into the light and freedom that is ours in Christ. So to bring our sin into his light and trust him to deal with it and to bring others into his light. There's this really strong language in beginning in verse 11, a day for the building of your walls and that day the boundary shall be far extended. What he means is the boundary of God's people. For now... The, the boundary of God's people is confined to one of the smaller states of a former country, right? The little state of Judah, which is now its own country and barely hanging on by a thread. And Micah says the boundary of God's people will begin to grow and spread and expand. And 
his kingdom, if you will, which is all Jesus really ever talked about, was the kingdom of God, will reach the ends of the earth. And Micah then says in verse 12, in that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. These are stunning words. These are the historic military political enemies of of God's people. And Micah is saying God's grace will reach them and they will be coming here in peace seeking the same grace, the same forgiveness that our souls long for. They'll be coming into the same light that God wants us to step into. All kinds of people, people who once were at enmity with one another will be at peace with one another. And we are to be a part of that bringing of others into the light of God and we are to trust him to use us. You probably do not think of yourself as someone that God could use to shine his light. But I can assure you, God has terrible taste in ambassadors. He chooses people who are messed up, who are really good at being selfish, who are short-sighted, quick to anger. Oh, I could go on, but do I need to? You're just the person he's looking for. There it is, Danny. Howdy. Howdy. (laughs) You already are a part of God's spreading of his kingdom, of his shining of his light into the hearts and lives of others. And we are to trust him to use us, to lift our heads from our own guilt and shame and say, oh, I, I, okay, I get it. The only reason that I'm useful is because I've been there. And somehow, God, by his grace, works through us to bring hope to others. And I can literally say, if he can make me a pastor, he can do anything. So, and, and, and I say that but having grown into a, a degree of acceptance that I trust God to use me. I didn't used to, but over time, we learn, we grow, we figure out how his grace is extended. So Micah begins chapter 7 with, an, with this call to expect evil to surge with a call to look to our Redeemer. I'm sorry, I need to read to you from Luke 24. Um, more words of Jesus here. And we'll just read these and sort of let them speak for themselves. But then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem which is the capital of the state where Micah was speaking. That beginning there on that cross, the light of God's love would begin to spread. And Jesus understands that he is the fulfillment of this promise that Micah extends. And so to look to our Redeemer and to be assured of his grace. I think it is common to all of us to wonder in our hearts either why God, why would you bother with me? Or is it true? Can I really believe this? Is forgiveness real? Did that just happen? And Micah closes his book with these incredible calls to for us to have assurance that it is God who loves us. Our, our faith is not dependent upon our steadfastness. Our faith, and we'll talk about this in, in this very place, is dependent upon God's faithfulness. But first, we must be assured of God's forgiveness. This is where Micah begins his conclusion, if you will, that there will be compassion, a, a reckoning of our iniquities, that our sins will be cast into the depths of the sea, that God will actually forgive, that his grace will prevail. We are to be assured of his forgiveness, that he loves to extend grace to his children. He delights in them. He loves to love you. To be assured of his grace begins with being assured of his forgiveness and moves into being assured of God's faithfulness. This is the basis of our security, that God is faithful. I will still be an idiot. My wife is teaching the kids today, so I didn't get an amen from that. But thank you, Carl. Um, But my standing with God is not based upon my judgment. It is based upon his faithfulness. And Micah reminds us of that. He will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. As you have sworn to our fathers from days of old, 
Micah understands and he wants us to understand that God will always fulfill his promises. In fact, that his son would be the fulfillment of all of those promises. Read with me from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you somehow always know what we need to hear. You not only understand how sinful and corrupt our hearts, our hearts are, but you have sent your Son to deal with our sin, to cast it into the sea, and allow it to sink to the bottom and disappear. Lord, lift our heads to see the light of your love each and every day. To be people who know that we are forgiven, that your love will never fail. Lead us to trust your faithfulness, your steadfast love now and forever. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. My name is Scott Lawler. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Church. We've come to our time of offertory. Here at Hope Church, uh, we do not pass a plate. We believe that giving is an important part of our uh, faith and our journey with God, but it is a private matter. We do have a bucket in the back if you would be so inclined to give. But really when we think of offertory, it's our total offering of ourselves back to God. It's reflecting on the message. It's reflecting on the time we give, our financial givings. It's giving everything we have because that is what God has given to us. When we reflect on this message that Tom gave us today, I think initially about the, you know, don't put your hope in people. And all I would say for myself is, yep, just ask my wife, ask my boys, my daughter, that every day I fail them. Every day I mess up. And I know all I have to do is get out on the roads of San Antonio and look at the people around me and I probably turn into a different person than what you recognize me here because the thoughts that come across my mind when that person cut me off or didn't drive how I wanted, it's not a very godly world out there. And then I think about the grace that he gives us, that forgiveness that he gives us. And yet with all of the brokenness we have, that's how we're able to relate to others. He uses that brokenness to allow you to form a relationship with the other broken people of the world. Because we are all broken. We're able to relate to each other and through that relationship, we're able to spread his word from just outside the city walls of to Jerusalem with Christ laying on the cross to spreading across the whole world. That is done through each of our own broken relationships, sharing how that grace and forgiveness he has shown us, we can share with others. As the music plays, please take a moment to reflect on your total giving of yourself back to Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you and pray you for all that you have given us this broken world our broken selves but that it's there to be used to help others to be able to shed a light into this world to be able to go out and share what your love that you are love and that you care for us more than we can ever know regardless of what situation we are in, how broken our lives are, you are there for us. We do all this in your son's precious name. 
anyone who is in needs of prayer, we do have uh, one of our other elders, Carl, in the back. If you are in need in prayer while this last song plays, please see Carl. Will you please stand and let's close our worship service in praise. Praise God. 
Take these ancient words of blessing and let them come alive in your heart today. Let them give shape to who you are, to how you live, and how you move through the week ahead. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May you go in his peace, and please stick around for lunch and care group prayer afterwards. Thank you.